0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all together here today. Um, it, it definitely feels like we are entering a new season in so many ways. Uh, days are becoming longer and brighter. Uh, you know, if you notice this, we're singing together here. Um, you know, it, it is good. This is a good thing. But as we return, Before we run headlong into this next season, uh, last week we began a process together of reflecting. Uh, Returning and reflecting is kind of this this theme that I want to to sit with for a little while. So last week was the day of Pentecost, right? We read the story in Acts chapter 2, and then we considered Acts chapter 1, which describes the period in which the early church waited to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and then we took some time together after looking through that to reflect on our own season of waiting throughout this past year, this, this long season of waiting, and to ask the question, what have we received from our waiting? What have we received in the midst of this? You know, this past week, I came across a passage that I think perfectly sums up last week. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, We boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. See, the early church was shaped and formed in their waiting, out of which they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we too have been shaped and formed in the challenges of this past year. But, Rather than moving to a place of despair with the help of the Holy Spirit, these challenges can make us into a people of hope, firmly held in God's love. This is what we reflected on together last week. And I loved looking at some of your reflections. I don't know if you can see that visual on the screen very well, uh, but this is just some pictures of the images that that we wrote on, the, the paper that we wrote on on the walls last week. And I loved looking through many of your responses. You know, what have we received in this season of waiting? And there are a couple of themes as I looked through some of these responses that stuck out to me. And there are themes of depth and desire. Depth and desire. Uh, Several of you shared about how this time of waiting has been an opportunity for deeper living. Right? Uh, Some of the things that were written down, that during this time there's been time to think about and be grateful for what I have. It's been a, a time to rest from busyness. That this time is given distance to reflect deeply on church and God. Uh, Someone else wrote, uh, this time has been, uh, there's being forced to live slow enough to receive the hidden treasures of the kingdom. Someone else wrote, deeper trust in God, knowing he is with me always. You see, all of these different responses are are ways of living more deeply. And and so this is one of the themes that, that I've seen. You know, what have we received from this past year? Well, an invitation into depth. Another theme that I saw was the theme of desire, right? Someone else wrote, desire to live authentically. Another, desire to sing praises. And another, uh, an an awareness of longings, a greater awareness of of longing. And so, as I think about these themes that sort of arose from our writing last week, it, it seems like this season of deeper living has brought us in better touch with our desires. This deeper living has brought us deeper into our own desires, and this is good, Because desire is the fuel of faith. Desire is the fuel of faith. Just as our psalm reading said this morning, my soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So this past season has been an invitation out of shallow, passionless living into deeper living rooted in our desire for God. So this is some of the reflecting we've done so far together, and yet this invitation is challenging, right? This this can be frustrating. After all, it's a lot easier to live on the surface and sort of be numb to desire because it keeps us Maybe a little bit safer, a little bit more insulated from disappointment. But you see, living in that sort of shallow uh, way also insulates us from joy. Deeper living, on the other hand, opens us up to greater joy, but also the potential for greater grief. This was so well expressed by another one of the the things that's written uh, this past week. Uh, Someone wrote down uh, their experience of this past year, frustration mixed with appreciation, right? That's reality, right? That's this mix of joy and grief, frustration and appreciation. And this is something that we're going to read about in our text today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3 is where we're headed. Ezra is about a third of the way into the Bible after 2 Chronicles before Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 3 is where we're going to be headed. And over the next few weeks, we're going to continue with this theme of return and reflect. And to help us with that— we're going to be considering a few key moments in the narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, just like many of the first and seconds of the Old Testament, like Kings and Samuel and Chronicles, right? First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Ezra and Nehemiah uh, were originally one book. All of these were originally one book, uh, but then were sort of divided up into two different uh, Uh, editions, two different volumes. And Ezra and Nehemiah is the same way. Uh, They were originally one book together that were divided into two different volumes and then named after some of the primary characters in each one. And so the story of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, together uh, reflect on Israel's return after exile. They tell the story of Israel coming back out of their season of exile, And so throughout Ezra and Nehemiah, we encounter stories like rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem or or reconstructing the city walls of Jerusalem, restoring the communal worship of the people. Stories that are not unlike the season we're currently in as God's people, a season of return and restoration And so my hope is that we can dig into some of these stories over the next few weeks and that it will help us to continue reflecting together on this past season as we move into the next. And so today we're reading in Ezra chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 10. Uh, And we're going to see the story of when the people began to relay the foundation for the temple and regather for worship together. So Ezra chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the directions of King David of Israel, and they sang responsively. Praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this season of returning, but I pray that you would guide us in reflecting deeply as we move into this season. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Ezra chapter 3, th- this is an incredible scene uh, that we've just read. Right? I mean, after about 70 years in exile, spread all across the, these strange lands to them, the people have finally been released and have returned. And so they relay the foundation of the temple and they gather to worship again and this passage echoes all of these descriptions of when generations before the very first people gathered to worship at the original jerusalem temple in second chronicles 5 it says that they played trumpets and cymbals and they sang this very same song the lord is good his steadfast love endures forever. And so they are rebuilding the temple and re-establishing worship. And it's this wonderful, joyous occasion. And then we get to verse 12. Many of the priests and Levites and heads of the families, older people, who had seen that first house on its foundations, many of them began to weep when they saw this house while others shouted for joy. You see, this verse gives us pause. And I think in many ways, it models for us some of the importance of reflection as we enter this season of returning together. In this passage, there are a couple of tensions that are held together that are really important for us to consider As we enter this next season of our own reflection, Uh, one of the tensions is the tension of the future and the past. These are held together in this passage that we've just read. Another one is the tension of joy and grief. And these two are held together. So I want to consider each one of these a little bit as we reflect on this passage and reflect on our own experience in this time. And so first, the tension of the future and the past, right? There's so much about this passage that obviously points toward the future. Laying a foundation, right, is is just the start of something, right? When you lay a foundation, you're anticipating this building that is to come, this age and time that is to come. The building of the temple continues over the next three chapters of the book of Ezra. Uh, and, and so this is this thing that it's pointing to this future age, this time of returning. And yet, in their worship, it also points back to the very same uh, song and, and instruments that were used at the very first time that they worshiped at the first temple. And so it's, it's anticipating the future, but also pointing back to the past. And in that pivotal verse, verse 12, these two things are held together because some shout with joy at this new temple. But others, the older generation, who remembered the first temple, begin weeping. And the passage doesn't say that one or the other is right. It just holds these two things together. The, the shouts of joy and the loud weeping. And I think that we have often done a a poor job holding these two things together, the past and the future. You see, much of our culture is obsessed with newness, right? Always fascinated with the future. We value productivity, constantly pressing on. There's a constant busyness, to keep going and, and to move on to the next thing. That's one of the things someone wrote about this past season is, is, man, a break from that busyness over this past year. And so, so much of our culture is constantly moving into the future, constantly pulling us to just keep on going. On the other hand, sometimes we, we actually we resist that obsession with the future and instead give into to a nostalgia of the past. We look back to when everything seemed simpler and easier. We go back to old things. We try to keep everything the same, right? Now, the problem with each of these is that neither one is really rooted in reality, right? One of them romanticizes the future, while the other romanticizes the past. And neither one takes the time to just pause and, and reflect On reality. Reality is found in holding the past and the future together. And we see this come through in much of the wisdom literature, in Scripture. Uh, We we often say wisdom comes with age, right? You've you've heard that before. And we just assume it to be true. But if we think that, that if we keep pressing on, older is going to equal wiser. But that's not what we see in Scripture. There's a different pattern that emerges from Scripture. Take the book of Ecclesiastes, for example. Right? The author of Ecclesiastes is searching for the meaning of life, trying to figure out what does this all mean? Does it even have any meaning? Trying to identify wisdom, and there's this pattern that emerges as he searches. The author begins by searching and seeing all these different things. He says that he sees great riches. He sees hard work. He sees the pain of oppression. He sees the comforts of friendship. He sees all different kinds of things. But he doesn't stop at seeing them. He doesn't stop there. Throughout the book, there's this constant refrain, I saw and I considered. I saw and I considered. And this is the pattern of wisdom. This is the pattern of wisdom. Wisdom is not just seeing many things, but seeing and considering them. Wisdom is not just an accumulation of years, but considering and reflecting on those years. This is why there can be plenty of people with a lot of years under their belt who still act like teenagers. Right? Wisdom can come with age, but it's not automatic. That's not a given. We, we must not only see, but also consider. And this is what it is to hold together the past. In the future, we look back and see our experience in the past and consider it and reflect on it so that we are able to move into the future with wisdom. And that's what this passage in Ezra does, that's what this passage calls us to. As they enter a new future, of worship together, they're also looking back to the past. And these things are held together in tension with each other. So this is what I want to encourage us and challenge us to do during this season as we return from the past, right? Not just run forward, say, hey, we're meeting again, and let's just reestablish everything and be exactly the same as it was before. But I want to challenge us to truly consider our experience over this past year. More than a year, right? And reflect on how have we been changed as a result of this experience that we've had? Who are we now? This way we can reflect on it and move into the future with wisdom. That we might be a people who see and consider, right? Holding these things together. so this is one of the tensions that we see in the passage. Another tension that is held together in this passage is the tension of joy and grief. The tension of joy and grief, right? There are shouts of joy, and there is loud weeping. And I love verse 13, it says, the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. Right? These two are, are mixed together into this chorus of joy and sorrow, of, of anticipation and loss. And this is another thing that I think we have had a difficult time holding together. Because just like our culture is, is prone to fascination with the future, we also tend to move toward positivity and avoid anything that might possibly be considered negative. I want to ask have any of you seen the, the sort of the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out? A few people here have seen that. It is this wonderful exploration of emotion of emotional experience. And the main characters in the movie are these core emotions, all right? You know, we've got anger, disgust, joy, fear, and sadness, right? I mean, you can just see them right there, and the expressions on their faces— anger, disgust, joy, fear, and sadness. And they're sort of the main characters. They live inside of this young girl named Riley— And they're kind of the main characters of this movie. Now, behind them, if you look, you'll see all those little balls of color. And those, in the movie, are various different memories that Riley has. And each one, the color of the the emotion that's associated with it. And so, there are joyful memories. There she is holding all these balls of, of yellow joyful memories. But then there are also sad memories, right? This is sadness holding those little balls of sad memories. And the, the conflict in the movie or the, the kind of main thrust of the story is that throughout it, Joy tries to take control and hog all of the memories for herself, not allowing Riley to experience sadness or other negative emotions. Now, I don't want to give away the movie, but in the closing scene, we see Riley growing in maturity, and instead of just yellow joy emotions or blue sad emotions or these others, we see this, complex emotions that are mixed with both joy and sadness, much like the shouts of the people in Ezra. Memories that hold together the tension of joy and sorrow. You see, this movie wrestles with who we are as a culture. Because we are a people who avoid grief. We're a grief-avoidant culture of silver linings. We don't know how to lament or how to grieve. We have so few spaces in life that actually allow us that. And so what we end up doing to kind of make up for this is we spin everything into a silver lining. I recently attended an online conversation entitled The Post-Pandemic Soul in which a number of people were reflecting on, hey, who who are we becoming after this whole thing we've been through? How do we kind of move into this next season together? And and one of the speakers was talking about this very thing, our culture's lack of spaces to grieve, lack of spaces to process loss, to really reflect, because we're always moving forward. We're always trying to have that that nice silver lining. And she described how we often mask our grief with these silver linings. And she shared a few examples over the past year. She said, instead of grieving the loss of our weekly rhythms, many people instead have said, oh, you know, it's been really nice to just work from home. It's great. Others, instead of grieving the loss of friendships with classmates, many have said, hey, kids are so lucky to get all this time with their parents this year. (laughs) Parents might feel differently. (laughs) Or instead of grieving the disruption and isolation that we've experienced, many have instead said, you know, our families had it really easy. Man, there are so many others who've been so so much worse off. And she went on to to say particularly about that last one, comparison leads to competition. And competition leads to winners and losers. And we don't need winners and losers. We need to grieve. We need to grieve. We don't need to compare our experience to other people to try to make ourselves feel better. We don't need to kind of say all these things that might be true. Sure, you know, maybe it is great working from home, but there's a loss in not being able to be with other people. Sure, maybe extra family time is great, but there's a loss in not being in school or in classes with people together. And instead of just looking for all these silver linings in order to mask and ignore our grief, We need to face that. We need to enter in to this grief. So I wonder, are there ways that we have masked our grief with silver linings this past year? And not really entered in to the things that we've lost. Time, experiences, whatever it may be you see, there's so much joy as we move forward into this coming season. But there's also so much grief that we can't ignore. You see, as, as the people of Israel gathered together after a long time of exile, they didn't just plow ahead. Hooray! Here we go. There was great joy, but there was also Great grief. They didn't just look to the future and and run ahead, ignorance of their past. They looked to the past and they, they saw the things that had been lost. They grieved it. They held these things in tension with one another. And you know, this really is the core of our faith. Christianity Is resurrection faith. And resurrection is not just about life. It's about life through death. And so we can't just plow forward. We can't just look at all the things that there are to rejoice in. We have to take into account and truly face the things that have died, whether it's people who have died this past year, Experiences that have been lost, time that's been lost. We have all been shaped and formed by this. To deny death is to deny resurrection. And so we have to enter into this holding both joy and grief together. As we return and reflect. So I imagine that many of us are ready to run straight ahead. forget about the past. I imagine that many of us just want things to go back to normal, back to the way that they were. But before we plow ahead, I hope that we can be a people who see and consider, who reflect as we return, a people who are honest about our joy, yes, but also our grief and journey together in this. And so just like we did last week, I want to take some time to reflect together. And so there's a couple more uh, papers up on the wall uh, where, where they were last week. And I've got another question for us to consider. As we consider the past year, what do we need to grieve in order to move into the future? As we consider this past year, what do we need to grieve in order to move into the future? Maybe it's something personally, as you look on this past year, that you need to grieve. But I encourage you also, think about what do we, as a church, need to grieve as we move into this next year together? How can we look back, see and consider our experience honestly, vulnerably, so that we can move into this next year together. And so over the next several minutes, there's going to be some music that plays. Uh, It'll start with just some instrumental music to give you a chance to kind of sit and reflect on this question. And when you're ready, you can get up and write something on the side, or uh, if you're watching online or uh, would rather stay seated, uh, you can text a response to the phone number on the screen or leave a comment wherever you're watching. Um, and we'll gather these up and continue our season of reflecting as we return. So there's going to be some, some instrumental music and then a song we'll play uh, with words on the screen as well that I, I invite you just to receive and, and listen to. As we consider this past year, what do we need to grieve in order to move into the future? Let's reflect together.